Boy, just be yourself. If people don't like you, if you're being yourself, can you speak? Can you hit you with the hard truth? The uncut from the gut. He pulls no punch on this podcast. He blasts real-ish. Take on topics most folks won't deal with. Now that's that Mims mentality. Give you a dose of entertainment and reality. That balance of make you laugh and think. So hear him when he say, let me talk to the folk on the street. Talk to the incarcerated and liberated. Let me talk to the judges, politicians and lawyers, trap boys, hustlers and soldiers, men and women, no matter what color, creed or religion. That's what No Limit Larry is giving. The truth, shining the light, walking the walk. Giving perspective from his perspective. You tapped in, you listening, well good. Welcome to Let Me Talk. Alright, let me talk the podcast, podcast where we keep it a thousand cause a hundred ain't enough. I got my big brother, my big partner in the building. Oh man, Grammy Award winner, producer. Man, how many Grammys do you got, Rico Love? How many you got? Three, three, three big Grammys. Uh, so who did who who did you get the Grammys for? Uh, Beyonce and Usher, two for Beyonce, one for Usher. That's what's up, man. So, who for the folks who don't know who Rico Love is, man? Who is Rico Love? How did Rico Love even come about? Well. I guess you could say I'm a songwriter, producer, artist, but um, I started my career as a rap, rap art, rapper. And um, I went to FAMU and I used to rap on the set. I used to battle rap on the set and I kind of like made a name for myself at school from rapping. And then when I got signed as an artist, I got signed as a rap artist to Usher's, Usher's record label, uh, J Records. Through J Records, it was called Us Records, a subsidiary of J Records. And what happened was um, in that deal, I needed money and I was just trying to figure out how to get paid. Mm-hmm. And I just saw something special in the way that I wrote rhymes and how melodic I was. And he told me, look, why don't you write a song for me on my album? And I wrote a song called um, Throwback on the Confessions album. And that was the first song I ever wrote. Damn. And I, I realized that I had a gift uh, for pinning records, like really con- con- uh, putting together songs. So um, I just continued to do it. So when the artist thing fell through at the label, I just continued to write records and create music. So, um, so, um, so I kept writing and writing. And then I started realizing that I would give my songs to people to demo, which, which mm-hmm. means sing them for me and translate them for the artists. And I realized that they weren't getting placed, but I thought they were strong songs. So what I realized was as good as they sang, it was a level of conviction, honesty, and purity that, that they weren't giving it to sell mm-hmm. so I started singing them myself. And in doing so, I kind of taught myself how to really sing and how to really control my voice on these records. How to and, get in the pocket, they say, how to get in that pocket. Yeah, pocket, tone, pitch, timing, and conviction. Cause that's more important than anything. You can have all those things, but without the conviction, without the belief and understanding and, and, and honesty in the lyric and in the, in the execution of the lyric. Mm-hmm. Uh, really then starting place. So I started placing records that way and I kind of became world-renowned for the phone. So, 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 so back up, Rico Love as a rapper, cause I, 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 I mean, I think you told me that before that you rap, but Rico Love as a rapper, how did you even get discovered by Usher and to sign his label to be a rapper? Like where you, where you from, where you was at and how did that part of it happen? So I was in it, I was going to FAMU and I was oh, taking Tallahassee. Yeah, I was taking the bus to Atlanta every weekend, working with these producers called the Corner Boys. And uh, a good friend of ours, um, Eddie, um, Eddie Long, he was he was like, "Yo, why don't you?" He had linked us up with Usher and said, "Yo, Usher's looking for producers," and they were producers. So they Usher was doing a remix album at the time, so he gave mm-hmm. us a cappella 
to remix the song called If I Want To off the 8701 album. They remixed it and I rapped on it. When he heard me rap on it, a guy by the name of DJ Rogers Jr. heard it. He was like, yo, you need to sign this. The rapper is dope. Yeah. So Usher invited me to perform at a showcase. And I performed at that showcase. And when he saw me, he was like, yo, I got to sign this guy. And wow. And what year, what year was that? I was in Atlanta. It was what, year, what year was that? 2003. So 2003, you've been in the game since since 2003. Was that 18 years in? How do you keep yourself fresh in the game? Because, you know, I've been in the game in a while. You've been in the game a while. Sometimes you get stagnant. You're like, man, uh, it, 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 it can become a drag and you can get in the pigeonhole. So how do you keep yourself fresh with what's going on and everything? And what, what happened is what you do is you got to stay active in your pursuit. And what I mean by that is I'm always pursuing knowledge. I don't believe I know everything. I don't believe just because I've had a lot of hits and a lot of success that I got all the answers and everything. So I'm active in my pursuit of information. Mm -hmm. I'm always reading, I'm always looking at movies, I'm always paying attention to the culture, I'm always on the, believe it or not, I'm always on Instagram, I'm always on the internet, I'm always looking and seeing what's happening, what's moving, what's shaking, who's the new hot trending artist, what's the thing that's been lasting, what's the thing with substance, what's the thing that lacks substance that people love, why do people attach themselves so much to this thing and that thing, and, this thing? and you pay attention to it and you try to kind of move with the waves, so then as I'm writing for artists, I can keep that element of classic, timeless feel to the music, but also keep a current lingo, slang, and energy to the music so mm -hmm. it doesn't date it. So when you listen to my records from There Goes My Baby to Twerk by City Girls, it's still gonna be a timeless motion. Or, wait, wait, or, wait, you did Twerk by the City Girls? Yeah, I wrote and produced Twerk by the City Girls. I didn't know that. I didn't yes. you see you telling me new information. Let me talk the podcast. We keep it a thousand because 100 night, uh, not enough. Rico Love in the building. You wrote Twerk by the City Girls, so you wrote and produced that record. Mm -hmm. So you wrote JT and um and um Young Miami's verse? Yes. The whole thing. Yes, yes, yes. Wow, wow, wow. So I know who to blame when, when Young Miami don't be in the pocket. I can blame you. <laughs> I just did that one song. Period. So you wrote the period and all that. You wrote all that. That's crazy. I didn't know that, man. And um, even, so, even so, um, Black Zach's latest project. I just did Black Zach's whole album. You know what I mean? Oh, wow. Yeah, so so when you when you look at those records and you look at the ability to be timeless and look at what I do with Gucci Man and look what I do with like different, regardless of the whole spectrum, you know, I'm able to stay current. You don't listen to those records and feel like, oh, this feels like 2002. You know, mm -hmm. it was current, but it also feels timeless. Right. And that's the key. The key is knowing what I know and using what I know, but also removing myself so I can look back at what I don't know and learn it quickly and adjust music. You work with some of the biggest people in the game. You Usher, Beyonce, um, T.I., Lil Wayne, Gucci Man. Uh, what's the difference in working with a rapper and working with an R&B singer? Like, what's the? Well, I know it's got to be a major difference because these rappers sometimes they don't let you craft what you know or, or use your craft to help mold what they need to get done. Believe it or not, the rappers listen more than the singers. Wow. Yeah, the rappers listen more than the singers. You understand? The rappers is rapping more than singers are rapping. Right. So they don't mind a break. They don't mind somebody guiding them sometimes when they've been guiding themselves every day for the past. You know what I mean? It's, it's a lot to write. To, to record a rap song is so easy and quicker. So mm -hmm. when you're recording a rap song, they can record 
15 songs in, in two, three days, right? Mm -hmm. And the R&B singer has to sing and do all these backgrounds and layers and other stuff. So they might do two or three, if they work extremely hard, two or three songs a, a, a day or every few days tops, right? So if you are used to write, making so many records, by the time you get in the studio with me, you're like, man, just let Rico tell me what to do. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's not mean that I'm writing all their rhymes. I contribute to a lot of the rhymes and some of them let me write the verses, but, um, it's more about, I, I've been leading myself all week, all year, all month. Let, let Rico lead lead the way and show me, and give me an idea. And they respect what I do because the energy I give is mm -hmm. that of a, of positive and, and, and you know, king. I, like I consider myself and I consider uh, uh, many of us, not all of us, kings. And the king responds with grace and class and elegance. So when I'm approaching them is with grace and class and elegance. So they respect the grace and they respect the class and they respect the elegance. So they're gonna say to me, oh, this, this guy ain't giving me the energy like he better than me. He not giving me the energy like he know more than me. He just saying, hey, how about this? Because this might work. And then right. they respected it because my energy is not like, yeah, you got to do what I say to let me go low. No. So is it, you know, you know, the, you know, the, one of the biggest arguments in hip hop is that, you know, hip hop artists or rap artists, they shouldn't let people write their rhymes. What do you feel about that being a producer? No, I'm not against that. I mean, I guess when I was, but I, but I understand people's argument. When I was a kid, I would have been crushed if I thought somebody was writing Jay-Z rhymes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I found out that Jay-Z wasn't writing all his hooks. You know what I mean? And that's okay. So if if I'm in a studio and, and Lil Wayne is in there and I do a verse that's dope and he's like, I'm gonna say that verse. Does that make him not Lil Wayne anymore? <laughs> Yeah, I've I, I never had a problem with it. You know what I mean? I, on the radio side, I never had a problem with it. But you know, the argument in the barbershop is always, man, if you don't write your raps, you ain't real as a rapper. But singers don't write all their songs. But look at it. Like, what does it change? It's great. I think it's incredible for argument sake. It's incredible for the culture to have those conversations flowing. But honestly, when has anybody ever lost record sales when somebody found out they didn't write their rhymes? Uh, that's 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 absolutely true. That's absolutely true. You know what I mean? It's, it's never affected them, but I think it's incredible for the culture because it's conversation. Any any conversation surrounding the culture is beautiful. It's, it's mm -hmm. great. It's pushing us forward. It's keeping our keeping us active. And it's keeping the keeping the energy around the culture still relevant. Yeah, you say you went to fam. You man, HBCU love, HBCU love, and HBCU love is going down all over the world right now. How important was that for you in your life? to say, man, I, my background, my educational background comes and pipes from an HBCU. How important was that for you? Incredible. I met people from all over the world who looked like me, but saw the world differently than me. Who looked just like me, but moved different than me. Mm -hmm. Looked just like me, but spoke differently from me. So then I started understanding myself more because I realized that I've been doing this thing this way because this is what I was brought up doing. But then I saw that they did it this way. So listen, let me try it this way. And I, oh. It works easier for me because I learned a new way of living and a new way of wearing my clothes, a new way of carrying myself, a new energy and a new mindset because I was able to connect with other black people mm -hmm. who saw the world differently than me. Mm -hmm. Not just saying I connect with other people, I connect with other black people yeah. who look like me and who made me feel like, wow, not only are you putting yourself in a positive direction, but you're articulate, you're young, you're bright, you're vibrant, you have this incredible energy and I have that same energy, but it's, the energy is pointing in that direction. What if we all point our, our different types of energy in the same direction, you know, how stronger we became being right. in those HBCUs. And people don't understand that, that level of, you know, synergy amongst young black youth, man. That's right. Anybody it who's, definitely is. Anybody who's never experienced a homecoming, 
They lost. They lost, man. They lost the life. It ain't nothing like an HBCU homecoming. Nothing like it in the world, man. And and it's like it was crazy because the first year, uh, uh, family homecoming first year was so dynamic. Like I mm-hmm. could, I'm looking around. It was so many parties and the beautiful women. And I'm just like the food and the energy and everything. Yeah. And next year, my second year, my sophomore year, 9/11 happened. September wow. Before, and October was our homecoming. Yeah. So homecoming was canceled. It was just different. It wasn't the same type of thing. Yeah. It happened, but people weren't flying over from all over the world because they couldn't fly. Right. You, move, you couldn't move around like that. You couldn't move around. So then um, it was different. And then the year after that, it was like a little bit off because, you know, you still were rebuilding. rebuilding. Yeah. You were still fresh. You were still skeptical about getting on the yeah. planes and yeah. moving around. We didn't know what was going <laughs> on out there. I don't know if people remember, but for the next few years, people would only get on the planes out of necessity. It was like right. Oh no, it was, it was about there. three to five years before everything yeah. got all yeah. the way back right. Yeah. And depending on who you was sitting beside on that plane, you was you was <laughs> looking at them. But I'm telling you, you, make the wrong move, it's going down. <laughs> <laughs> but now nah, you know, I went to HBCU too. I went to John C. Smith, and um, man, I remember my first day, like my first day, like I grew up in Charlotte. John C. Smith is in Charlotte, and I used to go to I used to go to Smith as a kid, but I never realized like the impact that a HBCU had to my first my first time on the yard. I'm standing on the yard and I look around exactly like you were talking about. I look around and I see people from everywhere: New York, D.C., South Carolina, North Carolina, Florida, Atlanta, and I'm like, wow, like this is us, man. This is us. Yeah. And it was it was it was it's one of the moments you have, and I think you really. You, you you have a feeling of culture, you have a feeling of understanding, and you have a real, real feeling of love. And man, HBCU experience is, is, is like none other to me. None other, none other so, in the world. And, and I know y'all get it. Are you, where you, are you, where you from? I grew up in uh, Milwaukee, Wisconsin and New York. Okay, Milwaukee. How do you make it from Milwaukee? What made you say, I'm going to HBCU? Like from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, New York, what made you say, I'm going down to Florida to go to HBCU? Man, of all know, things. I never planned on going to school. Okay. I, I was, I knew I was going to make it in music. But I also knew that if I wasn't in school, I was going to be in the streets. Okay. Like I knew I was either going to sell dope or I was going to have to go to college. And I got robbed for two and a half ounces of cocaine at gunpoint. And I was like, nah, this ain't it. <laughs> you know what I mean? But, but I knew that Either I was going to be the biggest drug dealer in the world, or I was going to be dead, or I was going to be the biggest in music. So that was my only two options. And I said, in the meantime, if I stay around, I know I'm going to be in the streets because I want so much more out of life. I looked around and I saw the people nine to fives and doing ups like, I can never live that way. So I know that either I'm going to go to school and then work on the music from school, or if I stay here, even I, going even to school in Milwaukee wasn't even an option for me. Right. Because I'd have been around the streets. The same people, same cats. You know what I mean? So I was like, and it was a guy who I was around who I was like uh, heavily influenced by. And I was like, I know I would have been in the streets. Mm-hmm. So, and me even being a leader, I was a leader, but it was something about the way he got money that I was like, I'm gonna get, I need to get money. I need, I need money like him. Yeah, yeah exactly. Like right now, ASAP. Exactly. Yeah. So, that, so when I was looking at schools, I was looking at a book of colleges, and the first name I saw, and the people I, people hate when I tell the truth, but this is the true story. 
the first name I saw was Florida A&M University. So I thought to myself, oh, Florida, South Beach. That's, that's Miami. Right, right, right. <laughs> and shit ain't nowhere near South Beach. <laughs> I got to Tallahassee, I'm like, yo, where's the beach? Where <laughs> it's like, no, this is Tallahassee, bro. And yeah. But it was all Florida, you know, I thought it was like, yeah, you got another six hour drive to the beach. Yeah, exactly. Stop beach, baby. Exactly. So I realized like, whoa, this is not what I thought it was. So uh uh that's how I got there. I just looked in a book, saw Florida Anim, applied, they accepted me. Wow, man. That, man, and it's crazy how people choose choose their their colleges, but man, you know, you're here now, Rico Love doing your thing and um but getting robbed, man. What what was what happened? Like, can you tell you can you take me back through that situation when you got robbed? Because oh, I don't think a lot of people talk about the but the realness of life. Like, why well, could have not been here no more? Yeah, yeah. I was on a street called um, Burlock, and anybody who you know from the area understand like how serious that whole street is. So I was on Burlock like on Forty Second and Hour, like a block away from Burlock. So people watching the still from the area don't know. But basically, uh, me and a friend of mine at the time was serving a guy. So what they would do is, you get in the car, and we had these two slats of uh, crap. So it was like two and a half ounces. But it was mm-hmm. like, they looked like little plates, like little yeah, soap. I got you. So um, we had, I had two and a half ounces. I was driving, he was in the passenger side, and the guy getting in the back seat behind me. And then what they have is a tester. The mm-hmm. tester gets in the other side. And I knew something was off because he said, yo, you got your pipe. Cause you know, all y'all who don't know, but testing is somebody who test the dope. They'll test the dope, they'll yeah. smoke it and yeah. make sure it's good dope and then whatever. So the tester gets another side behind my homeboy. My homeboy got the, got the 45 on him. So I'm sitting in the car, the guy's behind me and the tester say, he, the tester was nervous. And usually tested, can't wait to smoke. They're like, yeah, they ready, they ready. They yeah. popping in, doing yeah. their thing. And yeah. you know, it, it's whoop the whoop, let's go. So he's, uh, <laughs> he's like, where your pipe at? He's like, I don't got my pipe. What smoker you know don't got their pipe? It was weird. So then he was like, what you mean you don't got no pipe? And then as he said that, I turned this way and the guy was standing outside the car with the gun to me at the window. So I screamed. The guy behind me starts crying. Oh, y'all setting me up. So my man say, we not setting you up. This is, you know what I mean? So he, he draw. He steps out of the car and him and the dude is backing away from each other. They're not saying nothing. They just pointing the guns at each other. The guy behind me is crying. Oh man, y'all trying to set me up, bro. Go with your gun, bro. Give me your gun. He kept begging me to give me his gun. And the, the smoker had already got out the car. So he gone. Me, me and him get behind the car and he said, yo, give me your, he kept saying, give me your gun. You, you, uh, uh, y'all set me up. I said, bro, I don't have a gun. And when I said that, he pulled his out, put it to my head and said, yeah, lay it down. He was Dang. in on it. He had to make sure I didn't have no guns. So he had to, you know what I mean? And he said to me, it, the name of the crew is called Murder Mom. And he was known for like murders. Jack, Jack, um, yeah. yeah. So um, he said to me, if it wasn't my mom's birthday, I'd blow your head off. And he walked away. But I'm I'm laying on the ground. He asked me where the dope at. And the dope was right in front of me. But I'm laying there, but I'm so frozen that I didn't, you know, people think that they'll scream or cry. You do this. Right. I did nothing. I was just like this. And I wasn't like, <gasps> I was just yeah, like, yeah. And when you're in that moment, it's just, it's happening. You don't it, know what to do. You don't mind, know what you're going to do. In my mind, everything was just still. Everything was quiet. I could hear, you know, it's crazy. I could hear his, like, the, his you know, every breath, his every, every yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. It was like, I was like, uh, and all I kept thinking was like, damn, like this, bro. Like, this house going to end up. So, uh, 
when he said, uh, where the dope at, where the dope at? I just didn't even say nothing. I didn't say, I could have just been like, it's right there. Yeah. Just, you know what I mean? Then I remember myself saying, I don't, I don't know. He said, bro, for what my mom's birthday, I'll blow your head off. Wow. I remember that. Damn, it's my birthday. Like, you know, <laughs> we got ethics and code. You know, it's my birthday. Like, okay, appreciate it. But um, that, to me, after that, I was like, what am I doing this for? Because I, I, I grew up, I guess we were poor, but we ate every day. Right. You know, we had shoes, shoes on our feet. We had clothes on our feet. We lived in a, a house, you know? Mm-hmm. We didn't have money. We didn't have extras. We didn't have a bunch of nice things. You know, I didn't have new clothes and new sneakers like all my friends and the Jordans and all that. Like, I didn't have that. But I could eat every day. And I thought to myself, what are you doing this for? Like, you're not doing, I know people who are doing this because their mother smoked crack, their brothers, they got to take care of their family. Mm-hmm. And they the streets. But I thought to myself, well, I, I eat every day. That's, I know it sounds weird, but that's all I kept thinking. Nah, about. I, I, I trust me, bro, I get it. Yeah, like I eat every I definitely day. definitely did it. I'm not starving. So yeah. why am I really doing this? So when I look at people even now who talk about they're struggling and I say, but you eat every day. Like you, you ain't really, stru- are you really struggling? You, you got somewhere to sleep every yeah. day. Right. You get something to eat every day. Are you really struggling? You know what right. I mean? Right. Is it where you want it to be? No. Are you really struggling? If you eat every day. And I kept asking myself that like, bro, you eat every day. Why, are you, why would you do that? And I'm just from that point forward, I never touched those. I haven't even seen well, not to you, I've seen, but I haven't even, <laughs> like, you know, I was around so, tons of drug dealers after that. My even my management when I moved to Atlanta was yeah. drug dealers. But I just I just feel like I don't even want to be a part of that because I felt to myself it, it ain't got that bad for me. Right. Never, and it almost and it, it, it almost took your life. Exactly. And, and, and you know, you know, the crazy. But a person who not eating, a person who got to feed their brothers and sisters, I could see them risking their life. Right, right. To feed their brothers and sisters. So my my thing was, that you eat every day. You know what I mean? So you good. Like you got yeah. something every day. You know. So that's what made me change, and I just really focused on the music. So what made what made you go that route in the first place? Like what made you want to be a part of? Like what was fascinating to it? Like I know you said you had a big home. I myself around people who was doing it. It was a guy in my neighborhood named Lil Lonnie who got murdered, and this guy got murdered when he was 17 years old. He he had an S550 Mercedes when he died. He had three Rolex watches. He had apartments all over the city. Like this guy was a young boss. You know, at what I mean? 17. 17, he Dang. died at 17 years old, 18, yeah. 18, he got killed. I was in a driver's ed class, driving down the street, saw the tape around the building, and then got home and they say, oh, you know, Lil Lonnie got killed. And I was like, down the street, of course you cussed the name, like, yeah, that's where he got killed. And I saw, but so he was a guy who was just everybody admired. I, I met him like two times, but he was a legend. And he could play basketball, and he was good looking, and all the girls loved him. And he- <laughs> so you just looked at that and was like, I always knew, like, if I'm gonna live my life, I'm gonna live my life like that. From a young age, I just knew I'm gonna have nice cars, I'm gonna have nice houses, I'm gonna have, I'm gonna have money in my pocket. And obviously, I surpassed every drug that I've met in my life. Yeah, but yeah, the, the right way though, the legal way, the legal way. But and not everyone either. But but you know, what I mean? <laughs> somebody gets some real paper. But um, <laughs> but um, yeah, I looked at it and I was just like. I want to. I want to have nice stuff, and I just want to live that way. 
And I, I noticed that a lot of people I knew who were living legit, they were miserable. Yeah. And then all the guys in the streets, they were having a great time. Like every yeah. day. What what were you, what were your uh, parents doing around this time? You know, when, cause when you you was probably a teenager while you was in the streets. So, what were your parents doing? Did they know? Did they yeah, have mom, any inkling? Yeah, well, my, my mom knew. Um, I had when I came home from getting robbed, I told her what happened, and, um, and you know what? She didn't get angry. She just cried and prayed. But she wasn't even angry. She, I think, my mother had such a close relationship with God. I think she knew that that was a turning point. Mm-hmm. I wasn't a bad kid, by the way. I wasn't like yeah. getting in trouble. You're just a kid that wanted something. I want to have something. I just was messing around. I, it was going to get that way, I know. But yeah. I wasn't a bad kid, you know? And um, so when she, when my parents were good parents, they would just always, you know, my dad was active in my life. He was in New York, and I would go back and forth to see him and be with him sometimes a year and be with my mom. So he was active in my life, and I spoke to him on a regular basis and things like that. But I just, it's certain peer pressures that you have when you don't have a man in that house. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like living there is different because even if your kids live across town from you, when they with their mother and they go outside with their friends, they come in the house, you're not there. You're not there to combat a lot of things they learning out in the streets. Right. So that was those things kind of happen and you start looking around. Say so you need a father figure to tell you, all right, let me show you the reality of what you just saw. Right. Right. You see Break it down for you. Down in the streets with a dunk and a 26 inches on a Chevy, candy paint flipping with the interior of this. Or you see a guy with the Range Rover uh, 2021 and you like, he 19 with the Range Rover and he got a bank a bankroll. So then your dad got to be able to tell you, all right, now let me tell you what come along with that. Right. You see his big homie, 120 years. You see his homeboy, dead. You see right. his only 36 months for nothing. And when he come home, he on probation for 11 years. When you see that, like you look at, and they're like, whoa. Right, now. <laughs> somebody to give you the other side of that. So uh, yeah, even though I had great parents, being in the streets and running around and then coming home and not having that male figure inside of home, it can shift. And even when you go, even when I was with my pops, my uncle was heavy in the streets in New York. Mm. So, you know, I, I was with him and learned a bunch of things and admired him for the things, you know. So it's just so many different variables that could pl- come into play when it comes to how you view life and how you turn out. You know? Yeah, so you get through that. When did you know the music? Well, I know this music thing going to hit. I know this music thing going to work for Rico Love. When did you, when did, when did that decision come about? And when did you know that it was going to work? I always knew it was mm-hmm. going to work. I always knew it was going to It was no point. It was no point in my life where I thought to myself, maybe it's not gonna happen. So that's why when it started working out for me, people would be like, how do you feel? And I'm just like, I feel good. I, don't, I never ever, imagine if you tell yourself every single day that I'm going to, I'm gonna go get this hat. I'm, yep. very, I'm getting this hat, I'm getting this hat, I'm getting this hat. Thursday, I'm getting this hat, Thursday, I'm getting this hat. Thursday, come by, you don't get the hat. Next Thursday, come by, you don't get the hat. Five Thursdays later, you got the hat. People are like, yo, you got the hat. You're like, yeah, I got the hat. Why you feel? I, I, I told, told you I was going to get it. Remember I told you? <laughs> I told you I was going to get it. <laughs> I told you I was going to get it. So that's how it was for me. I always told myself what I was going to be. And I would even be in school and tell them, yeah, when I make it, y'all going to see it. And when I make it, and, and so when I made it, I would go back and see people and they'd be like, you know what? You was always talking about this. Like you was always saying this. So a lot of times people, when you look at people, they, they look crazy to you because you're mm-hmm. looking at the circumstance and you're like, what? 
don't let me. Larry say he gonna have the number one syndicated show in the world, not just America, an entire globe. Right. What? But but you just in Charlotte running it. Yeah, you run Charlotte, but you gotta. When you believe that, you look crazy to them. You know what I mean? Yeah, it, it, and it, it's even on a smaller scale. Like when you when you when you first starting something out, like you know, a lot of people don't share your vision, they don't share your dream. And I and when I go speak to schools, I tell them, I say a lot of times people don't believe in you because they don't believe in themselves. So they don't even have the conviction, like you talked about earlier. You don't even have the conviction within themselves to get something for themselves. So how am I believing in you? So that's that that's my that's always been my thing. Like, bro, I believe without without a shadow of doubt, if it's something that I want, then I'm gonna go get it. And I, I already manifested in my mind. So, like, just like you said, when when people are like, bro, you did it, yeah, I already knew I was gonna do. It. I told you I was gonna do. It. Yeah. So I get that. Yeah. You got. So do do you um how important was it for you to surround yourself with with positive people when you got to like when you got to this music world? And I'm asking this question because. We know the music game. We know what it brings. It could bring fake people. It bring people want money. It bring lawsuits. So how important was it for you to keep, you know, stay grounded, one, and then two, surround yourself with positive people? I had to be the positive person. You know what I mean? It's so easy to say surround yourself with positive because people I thought was positive crossed me. So I get it. I was the positive person in my life, you know? I, I still got some people who rolled and rolled through the trenches with me when things went bad, but... I was the positive person. Sometimes you have to be the positive person in your life. And people miss that. They're like, or even, I see a lot of people these days blaming things on other people's energy. Don't allow people's energy. I read these memes, don't allow people's energy. on it, And that's their energy trying to get on you. No, that's sometimes you paying for the decisions that you made. And sometimes you make a decision by mistake and you still got to pay for it. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Yeah. If I accidentally step off a cliff, and break my foot. I can't say to myself, well, it was an accident, so I shouldn't have to pay for that. I shouldn't have to twist my ankle and broke my foot. No, you still, even though it was a mistake, you still gotta pay for that. Now, the, the genius of that mistake is understanding not to do it the next time. So right. sometimes it's not this negative energy or negative people around you. Sometimes it's just bad decision-making. Sometimes you have to understand that I have to be accountable for the things that happen, even if somebody did it to me. I put myself in a position to allow them to do something to me. So the next time around, I gotta say to myself, I can't allow that again. So what I think about when I say positivity, I have to be enough positivity for everybody to make up for everything that's negative because in a perfect world, we could find and pick out who's positive. But the right. truth of the matter is, you could be with somebody every single day. You know, Tony and Manolo, you know, um, um, John Gotti and, 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 uh, and, and the Bull, right? Mm -hmm. Like, you don't know. The man crossed them, the man snitched, the man told them. You know, that happens. You know, Al Poe and Rich mm -hmm. Porter. Like, you don't think that that's going to happen. It's going to happen. So it's, it's delusional to say, I'm, I'm only going to surround myself with positive people. Yeah, they're positive today. Everybody. But tomorrow, what are they going to do? What are they going to do tomorrow, though? <laughs> if you upset them in a way or you offend them in a way or do something, how do you know that that's going to happen? So I have to be positive enough to make up for any level of negativity around me. Have you ever had a moment, and, and we probably all have had these moments, have you ever had a moment where you made a bad decision yourself? And it could have been back then or it could be now, like, you know, being in the music game. Have you ever had that that bad moment? You said, well, God damn, that was a bad decision. What yeah. was that moment? And how yeah. did you bounce back for it? Uh, yeah, man, I lost a whole bunch of money. I got sued, um, things I didn't even do. I bought this incredible mansion and I was like, uh, I, I, they, they robbed me on the mansion and did a bunch of stuff and I, you know, I had to file for bankruptcy. It was crazy, it got crazy for me, really crazy for me. 
And um, what I had to do was just sit down and hustle. And I had to put my head down to work. And I had to focus and I had to pull myself up, you know. And nobody, and it was a few, it was two people. I could count on her hand how many people knew and how many people helped. And then there were people who I loved dearly who, who, who left and the people who were very, very terrible to me during that time, who I loved and took care of and, and those things happened. But you know how uncomfortable it has to be for them to look at me and say like, damn, he, like I thought he was gonna die. I thought yeah, he gonna die. <laughs> I thought he wasn't gonna make it. Yeah, and then you see you now and they're like, yo, he's still up. Mm -hmm. What happened? It's some in some of us that it just is a never say die is a thing that says, I'll go through the fire. And just like the guy who said when I was a kid, what I was gonna do, the plans have never changed. And to be honest with you, I haven't even got to the level that I said I was gonna be at when I was 12 years old. I haven't even reached that yet. And, and I'm very close, I'm very, very close, but yet so far away, right? So every day we're working, we're working so hard to be that. So when you make those decisions and you see those things happen in life, the true testament of a man is not, oh, how much money you made. Mm -hmm. I want to hear about the guy who's up. I want to hear the story from the guy who fell down, because I might all I might not always be up. I might need the advice from the guy who fell down. If the guy who was born up and always been up and up 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 up, okay, cool, bro. I really can't learn much from you, because I've been up. But one day I might go down. So I mm -hmm. need to know what you did and how you saw the world. How, how you bounced back from that? Exactly, and that's the person I am. That's when I could definitely say, beyond a shadow of a doubt, I live without fear. I didn't borrow from nobody. Nobody get no. I nobody gave me a loan. I had to go figure things out. And yeah. Hard for me. I'm talking about living in a 15 bedroom mansion with negative thousand dollars in your account and you Rico love. You know what I mean? Yeah. That was my reality. And then I still had to go to the studio every day and smile and be Rico love. I still had to do interviews and talk to people and nobody knew what was going on. Yeah. So the people that helped, like, what do you think made them help when they knew your situation? And the people that didn't help. Like, what do you think? Why do you think they helped? Do you think they were? I ain't gonna say haters or or they they might have not been. In a, do you think they was in a position to help and just didn't? And the people that did help, what? Like, yeah, what king, do you think they made them step king, up and help? A king is a king. A king sees another king and understands the plight of a king. Hmm. He understands the struggle of being a king. So innately, his energy is going to be to help and assist another king. A subject, a worker. It's not <laughs> I don't want to call him a peasant, but it's, <laughs> I call him a peasant fight. Don't worry about it. <laughs> they don't ever understand what it means to be a king. So all they know is to serve in the capacity of reverence. A king serves in the capacity of service, right? So when I'm when another king sees you, he thinks instantly service to a fellow king. Mm -hmm. Another a, a, a Subject thinks reverence. Well, I can revere you because you're not, uh, you're not in this position, is what they think. Mm -hmm. So how can I expect someone who has never been in a position of having anything to understand what it's like to fall down when all they ever known was being down? They don't that know how to They only, make a whole lot of sense. They only know how to serve. Damn, so that make a lot of sense. you down, they're not looking to help you. They're looking for somebody else they can serve. That make a lot of sense. And you know, that, that helped me out of the situation. I go through this situation all the time. One of my family members, like, he always got something negative to say about me, but he always want my help. So it's like, how the fuck do you always talk about me, but you always want my help? Like, Because I, jealousy, it, is, it won't allow him to embrace you in that way. But the fact that he's not a king, 
And that's why I went hating people like we all kill you, all black men. No, we not. <laughs> Everybody can't be a king, bro. That's not even how monarchy is established. Hey, you, you, hey, hey, look, I had this conversation. I'm gonna let you finish, but I had this conversation the other day with, with some people. They be talking about kings and queens. And I say, y'all, do y'all understand how the kingdom works? Y'all don't even understand how it works. Y'all just out here, it's peasants in there, it's servants. Mm -hmm. Is I said y'all don't even understand how it works. So how can you be caught? Go ahead, man. I'm gonna let you finish, man. You hit it. You hit it on the head, though. You saying it like everybody's not a king. So the reason why he's jealous of you is because the world has made it convince them that he deserves what you have. No, he does not deserve what you have. And some people never gonna see the, the mountaintop, and they weren't meant to see it. And I hate to say that for you, but some people in their lifetime wasn't meant to see the things that you and I were meant to see. I hate mm -hmm. to say it for them. I'm sorry, but at the end of the day, their response to your struggle is fear. Oh my God, what's going to happen to me if No Limit don't have no money because he's the one who helps me. Now I have to find somebody else to help me. Now, even though I'm pouring you, pouring you, pouring you, pouring you, you, bro, I never needed anybody around me to give me money. No, I didn't need, I, all I needed was a friend in the ear and somebody to support me and to be the same person you was for me when I was up. An but opportunity, you, that's it. It could, but guess what they were? Opportunist. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so when you when you look at it that way, you have to understand how can I how can I ever be upset with them being who they are? You are you're a worker. You're a worker. Mm -hmm. So you need somebody to employ you. And if I can't employ you, you're gonna go to the next best thing and you're gonna be still a worker. And everybody I see who was around me at that time who left, they still were somewhere working for somebody or doing nothing. Even if, even if they're in a position where they got a gig or something, they're working under somebody. Somebody dictates how they eat and, and pay them every day. Nobody dictates how I'm eating. I'm always in a position of king. I can get up and leave right now if I want to. And good. I can say to you, yo, you know what? I don't want to do this interview. Yeah, I'm out. I'm out. <laughs> and you're good. <laughs> and I'm, so even if they, even, so when I look around at everybody who abandoned or fronted or did all this stuff, Look at that situation here, just in another place, working for somebody, getting paid like they was getting paid with me, instead mm. of owning. I don't see anybody going around saying, hey bro, look what I did, I, I built my own brand, and I have this and I have this and I have this. No, you're in a position where you work for somebody still. It's not a bad thing, that's who you are. That's mm -hmm. what you do. But, so I couldn't, but the only people that was ever there for me were people who saw themselves in a position that I'm in. As a king. As a king. Yeah, that makes sense. Rico Love. Let me talk podcast, no limit, Larry. You keep it a thousand because a hundred ain't enough. Um, what was it like when that first that first hit you wrote hit? What was that like for? And what was that first hit that you wrote? What was that one that hit that like bam? It was on the charts, it's on the radio. You like, damn, what is me? Yeah, the, um, well, throwback on the confessions album was so big. Yeah, it was just it just changed everything instantly. Like literally, I, I did a publishing deal and I recouped the entire publishing deal of the first song. That damn. I yeah. It recouped the entire deal. It, that's how big that, that album was. So um, it, it, it was like one of those things where I started becoming hungry for more of that. So some people will have a hit and they'll be like, wow, I got a hit. I thought I started fiending for that feeling of having success and, and having more so. So I, went, so I just became uh, addicted to the idea of working and being a studio and writing and creating. So even now I'm addicted to the feeling of making a great record and, and making a great song. How 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 did the how did the um, Beyonce call come about? Because you wrote uh, what what hits did you do for Beyonce? Other uh, people because they might not know. The radio scared of lonely. Um, 
Sweet Dreams and Save the Hero for Beyonce. And how did that call come about to work with the Queen Beyonce? I did Michelle Williams' whole album called Unexpected. I executive produced that. And Michelle played the album for Jay-Z and Beyonce. And when they heard the writing, they kept saying, well, who wrote that song? She's like, Rico Love. Well, who wrote that? Rico Love. Well, who wrote that song? Rico Love. So she's like, oh, yeah, we got to get Jay-Z actually said to Beyonce, well, I guess you got to get in the studio, Rico Love. <laughs> what is but it like working with Hov, man? Because I know you've been around and you work with him. So what is it like working I, with Hov? I, I never worked with Hov. I've been around him. But one thing about Hov is every time I see him, he knows me by name. And, and we, we haven't, we never really hung out for hours or a day. We, we hung out, we had a few conversations together, mm-hmm. brief conversations. But every time I see him, he's like, Rico, what's up? I'm like, damn, man. Like, and, and this shows you how in tune and in touch he is because there's no reason for Jay Z to remember me. It's, it's what I'm thinking to myself. It's like, Jay Z know me. And I was just talking to Lenny S the other day. I texted him and I was like, I, every time I see something about Jay that makes me just so, I, I just say, bro, you lucky. Jay Z is your best friend, bro. Like, mm-hmm. I, I always say that to him. So mm-hmm. the other day I said to him, ooh, that's good, Poopy. That's really good. So I, the other day I say to him, like, um, man, I can't believe Jay. I, I said, one day I'm going to earn the right to sit and talk. He's like, you know, Jay knows you. <laughs> like, he said that to me, like, yeah. bro, why you keep acting like Jay knows who you are very well. He knows exactly. And it just bugs me out that, you know, because I never spent a day with Jay Z. Like, I, I want to spend a day. Or, is that or, one of your, is that one of your uh, music entertainment moments, like Jay knowing your name? Because I, you know, if I had, I, you know, doing 23 years of radio, if I had those radio moments, like, damn, hey, like such and such, you know what I mean? Like, like when I first, when I first, you know, because I used to work on Masterpiece Street Team, that's a part of my story. When I was in college, you know, we worked on Street Team, but we never really met P, like, until he came here, he came to Charlotte, and he met with all the guys that was pushing his records in the street, and I was one of them, and he called my name out. I was like, damn, how you know me? You know what I mean? So it's one of them. It's one of them. The music entertainment moments that you have. You like, damn. You know what I mean? Like such and such know my name. So is that Jay Z moment one of those moments for you? Yeah, I was at uh, me and Usher went to uh, Equinox at a thing called Soul Cycle in LA. I was like, tell Puerto Rico a seat fifty four. It's like on the bike, you know. So I get on the seat fifty four. The lights go out. You get ready to go through the thing, and the doors open, and Beyonce walks in, and then behind her, Jay Z walks in. So I'm like. So B looks at me and says, hey, you know, I'm like, oh shit. You know, even though I work with her, you still in your mind believe It's still Beyonce. It's still Beyonce. Like, you think she don't know. Like, yeah. She got so much shit going on. She ain't got time to remember me. Right, right. I'm like, hey, B. And then Jay said, get me on the chat. What up, B? And he sat right next to me. Usher turns around laughing because he knew that Jay-Z was going to be at that bike next to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he put me there purposely. And just Jay just saying, what's up, Reek? Like Reek, that's like, like that is still bugged out. Like Jay Jay Z is like. <laughs> I mean, he's a real king, real god MC man. You know, man, big big homie. That's real, still big homie. Even if he does things I don't agree with, I still reverence him. He's just yeah. a different level of. He's just different. You know? Yeah, yeah. So you still speak to Usher today? You know, since Usher gave you a start, y'all still talk? Yeah, me and Usher was spent the week together last week. He was down here in Miami, yeah. So it's one of my closest. So is he doing his new Confessions album or now, man? What is he doing? He working He working on some new stuff right now, some, some really incredible stuff, actually. He played me some stuff that was really good. Yeah. And, um, I worked on some stuff with him last week when we were down. We just out here hanging out for like 2 in the morning. He was like, let's go to the studio. We booked the studio and started vibing out. It was having fun. Yeah. 
So, like, speaking of Usher, like, when you see your homeboys go through stuff in these blogs, like, like I woke up this morning, um, T.I.'s all in the blogs. I personally know T.I. You know, I know his character. I've been around him, and I'm not saying that I hang out with him every weekend, but I know him. You know what I mean? I know him. Mm -hmm. So when I see, like, cats stuff in the blogs about it, it, it bothers me because I'm a human being, and I've been through stuff in the blogs. So I'm like, yo, like, it bothers me. So how, how does it make you feel when you see your partners like Usher or somebody go through yeah. some of these blogs and, and on this, these websites and this internet? I'm the realest friend you could ever have. I unblock, I, I block and unfollow anybody making jokes about my people without knowing the facts. I, I don't play with, I don't fool with, I, I DM somebody, I know I'm like, bro, don't play. Make sure when you see us, I don't want, I, don't, you, I better not hear you in his face smiling because I'm gonna tell him what you said. Right, right, right. You know, but I'm that type of friend. So I don't play them type of games when it comes to my people. You know what I mean? And I don't do it to people. Right. You know I mean? People ask me questions about celebrities and what they going through and I don't speak on that. Yeah. You know I mean? That ain't my business. I don't, now, if, if somebody is hurting people or doing, raping women and doing stuff like that and you ask me, do I, I'm gonna say that's not cool. If we right. got the proof that that's a fact and we know that this person did that, then yeah, okay. But as far as speculation and hearing rumors, I'm not about to be commenting and making jokes, memes about niggas. Like, I don't play like that. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, 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 I think, you know, because when I think people, like, you know, you become a celebrity or you live in the, the music, the spotlight and the entertainment game, people forget that you're a person too. Yeah. Like, that man got a whole family to go home to. He got kids that he got to answer to. You got kids, I got kids. So it's like, man, like, it, it, it's it, it's tough, and, and I know for the, for the person that's going through it, I know I know it'd be tough for them. Even even if it's right or wrong, you know the the court of public opinion is it, it's crazy it, sometimes. Yeah, it, it'll kill you. It yeah, is. yeah. Well, I can't I can't let you get off this interview without talking about what you're doing for Charlotte and what you're doing for the Carolinas right now. Uh, you just said you did my man Black Zach whole album. Shout out to uh, South Coast Marketing Group. Uh, it's Black Zach from Columbia, South Carolina. That's South Carolina. But you got you a Charlotte one, boy. You got you a Charlotte one, North Carolina. Charlotte, yeah. North Carolina, we up one right now. Man, me and Ariana, we getting ready to drop a single February 5th, and then we drop our EP March 5th. And um, I'm excited for this girl, man. This girl got an incredible story. She had an incredible story. And when people really get to know who she is and behind the layers, and I'm pull back the layers of who she is and her character as an artist, as a, as a person, as a young woman, they're going to really be in love and involved, you know, I'm gonna be there. I'm gonna be in Charlotte in two weeks, um, shoot another video on her. We shot like four videos so far. I'm about to shoot another two videos and we just gonna keep the content coming. Pandemic slowed it up, but then you stopped nothing. You know I mean? Yeah. Speaking it. of me, Ariana, man, I, uh, I actually used to see her throughout the city. She actually sent me some DMs like, cause we got a segment on our show called The Next Big Thing where we play independent artists. I still got DMs for her when she sent me years ago. Like, hey, you gonna play my song? And I think, and I remember when we played one of her songs, I can't remember which one it was. And then when I saw you sign, I was like, damn, is that the girl we played? And it actually was. I'm like, well, damn. I'm like, damn, how did it this talent? Why do you think people like miss talent in their own city? Not me, because I don't, I mean, but but other people might miss talent in their own city. Talent. I mean, people can't even be mad at somebody for missing it because it's only like it's only one Rico. So if 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 it's millions of people that's talented and I miss and I'm missing, I miss. It's, it's only because it's one of me. So we can't be upset. We, everything happened the way it's supposed to happen. Some things might slip through the crap. There's some people that people may bring to me right now who I might be like, oh, I like them. They dope and I don't have the time really to devote to them. And then two years later, they're the biggest stars in the world. Right. Am I cry about it? No, I mean, these things happen. 
You know, I look back on my DMs and saw LMA DM me in 2015, like, hey, I really want to work with you. And I'm like, yeah. And I check her out. I'm like, wow, you're incredible. We got to work. We have, I'm in London and let's link up. And I'm like, yo, when I come to London, we're going to link up. And I never linked up with her. And then I look back, I go to DM her like maybe six months ago, just, hey, I got this record. Let me DM LMA to see if she, and I look at DM, I'm like, me and DM, me and LMA already spoke before. <laughs> I'm like, that's the girl. <laughs> that's the one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those things happen, man. It's just, it be like that. And yeah, so what that. What did you see in me or Ariana that said, listen, man, I got to, I got to bring this girl in and, and I got to get her signed and I got to work with her? Because you don't work with a, like, as far as you hands-on and, and bringing, like, your own artist, I haven't really seen you do it yourself yet. So this is, like, your first or second one? Yeah, her, her tone, her energy, her youth, her her fearlessness it just caught me man she just had a soul to her but she had this youthfulness that was just so current but then she had this timeless 90s r&b feel to her i was like man this girl got it she got something special she really does her tone is just incredible and her understanding of melodic navigation she navigates herself melodically through records it's just very unique very timeless very 90s r&b meets 2021 are you just looking for singers, or are you would work with some rappers too? I just signed a rapper named Whitey Baby from Atlanta. Um, I signed a, a singer from Vancouver, 16-year-old singer named Rubina. I'm in the studio now with a girl named Feli, and I'm about to sign. Um, who else? A uh, little band from Gretna, Florida. You know, I'm, I'm rappers. I'm, I'm looking for. I'm looking to build the biggest record company in the world. You know, I don't want to limit myself to any job. How do people get music to you? You just go, you seek it out yourself or you let people send you music? I, see, you... I seek it out if things happen. I don't have like an email to people to send me because then it gets flooded and now you're right. doing right. it, weaving through this music. Instead, I try to just look at, see it when I see it. Let it find me. Yeah, yeah. And I, I see you got your kids, man. You got your kids with you. How, how, how hard is it to balance, man, being a father and being in this music industry? Because... You know, this this the music game it consumes you. Yeah, but I it don't it is it's so easy because I just love my kids. I love my kids more than I love music. So uh it's easy for me. I'm gonna make time to do my I understand I have to work and I have to provide for them. But as far as being a dad and being there for them every day, every day and telling them I love you a hundred times a day and hugging them and playing with them and we have, like that's just that's just me. That's a part of who I am. It's fun for me. I don't even look at it as anything extra. It's like a guy who got a dog and run around and got a dog and then say, "Well, it's hard to no, nah, bro. You got to." Not that I'm trying to compare uh, kids to dogs. I got you. It's like the responsibility of having to adjust and take care of something other than yourself. Right. You have time for the things that's important to you. So you know, I ain't the first. Everybody, you know, got to make time our children and be present in their lives we also can be successful and consistent in the work you do how, how many kids in the ages oh i got two kids five and ten yeah and, I, and you was talking about i know you called an eye show you was talking about one of your kids one time well it might have been nephew or somebody you was talking about my son by the phone yeah oh, oh you're about the phone yeah <laughs> that's a two-year-old yeah yeah how how how's everything going going with y'all too yeah that's my best friend man that's my ride or die. You know what I mean? He take he make sure you take care of his little sister. 
you know, when I ain't around and make sure he there and active and doing what he's supposed to do and being the best big brother he could be. My baby girl, me and her, we just got our little relationship. We laugh and play and she beats me up every day. <laughs> which is which is, which is uh, harder, being a father to a son or being a father to a daughter? I don't know yet. Right now, it's just... You know, still working it out. They get older. The main thing for me is making sure that they're good people because the world is so evil and negative. And my, my number one responsibility is to make sure they don't, they don't become of the world. You know, they, they got to understand that the world is going to be there. They're going to have their personalities. They're going to do their thing. My son is on TikTok and doing his thing. And I'm kind of worried sometimes about the things he sees on TikTok and on social media and making sure he don't become the things he see. So it's my responsibility to be example for him. So as far as what's tougher, I think it's just tough just being a parent in general, especially in these Absolutely. Times when we know the devil is the prince of the air, you know, so so we gotta make sure we understand that he controls the airwaves. It's just about us navigating through them in the right and positive way and teaching our kids how to be good, honest and true, so that they won't be corrupted by the things that they see and hear all over the world that we won't be able to protect them. No doubt, man. Rico Love, let me talk the podcast. We keep it a thousand because a hundred ain't enough. I appreciate you stopping through today. And uh, you say you're going to be in Charlotte in two weeks. Uh, you got to link up, man. We got to link up. Yeah, let's link up. Let's get some dinner. Uh, and, and come out of video. Can, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. That, no brainer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll have a good time. Yeah, appreciate you, Rico. Oh, real quick before we go, what's next for you? And how can people uh, get in contact with you on your social media? My social media is I am Rico Love on Instagram. I am Rico Love on Twitter. I am Rico Love Five on Snapchat. And um, basically, I'm Rico Love Music on Facebook. Right now, I'm developing the artist. I'm I'm in love with the process of being an executive, being a CEO. I'm also on a board of trustees for the Recording Academy, which is the Grammys, and um, making change. I'm a part of a collective called the Black Music Collective with the Grammys, where we're changing the way the face of Black music is represented represented at the Recording Academy, and um, that's important for me. So these initiatives, running my record company, being the best dad I could be, and doing everything I can possible to push the culture for, forward. Those are my the main objectives at this point right now. Thank you, Rico Love. Salute King, real King Rico Love by you, man. Let me talk to podcast. We keep it a thousand because a hundred ain't enough. Appreciate you, big dog. Love, love, bro. Yeah. Hey, hey. Hey, what's going on in the world? No, we gotta speak about it. Change the topic, what's your favorite hobby? Change it back, I'm pro black. Switch it up, discussing new ways to make the money stack. No limit, Larry speaking all facts from the North Cat to the South Cat. Let me talk. 